This is the Bob McCown Podcast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Matt Devlin back in for Bob as he's recuperating. Matty, we're going to do a little something a little different here, a 50-50. We're going to talk a little NHL free agency with Brian Lawton. And then I don't know if you've heard this guy. We're gonna we're gonna bring Hello. this guy Jack. We're gonna bring this guy Jack. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, I never interrupt McCowan, do I? Do I interrupt? No, McCowan? no. But I was just doing the Jack Armstrong thing. Okay. Hello. Yeah, so we're we're gonna have get that guy Lott- Jack. <laughs> Lawton on hockey. Sorry, I'll be professional. Sorry. Armstrong on basketball. Today on the McCowan podcast, back after this. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for betrivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the Bet Rivers Sports and Casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options and get ready to feel like a VIP. Because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. Bet Rivers. Dot com. Welcome back to the McCowan podcast. Devlin in for the recuperating uh, Bob McCowan. And uh, just so my hockey friends don't get mad at me, I'm going to say this. Uh, we're going to go from the National Hockey League to the big leagues when it comes to money, uh, mm-hmm. because we're going to talk free agency in the NBA with Jack Armstrong, uh, where people were concerned in hockey, Jack, that Corey Perry got four million dollars. Let's face it, in the NBA, that's kind of chump change, isn't it? It sure is. You're speaking of big leagues. I, I, I'm this, I have a, a baseball sitting on my desk, so I can't, when I do podcasts, I always hold it in my hand. Uh, yeah, no, the, the economics of the NBA have gone insane, and they're going to go to really insane level uh, in the next two years when the new TV deal gets negotiated. Obviously, the next year will be year eight of a nine-year deal with $24 billion U.S., and they project that it could go anywhere, somewhere between 50 to 75 billion U.S. So uh, when that happens, the players get a 50 percent cut of that pie and uh, it'll be insane. So, uh, but hey, good for the players. Again, uh, you ever get your reaction? Sorry, uh, Matty, didn't get yeah. your reaction to the Fred Van Vliet contract and his departure. Uh, well, I'm thrilled for Fred, self-made man. I'm, I'm so excited for him. Um, and look, the economics make sense for him. I mean, you, you look at the Raptors go in and offer three years, $90 million. Uh, Houston was going in with two years in the 80s. Uh, then uh, the Raptors pick it up to four year around 120. And now the Houston Rockets go third year at 130. And it's a $10 million swing and there's no state income tax in Texas. So when you start doing the net income and you look at the numbers, you're like, this is an offer. It's like the, it's like the Godfather. It's an offer he can't <laughs> refuse. He has to take it for, you know, for the benefit of his family. And, he, and he's a free agent again after three years. So 
Business-wise, economically, I totally understand it. I'm heartbroken for the Raptor fans and, and everybody because, you know, you're losing one of the all-time great character glue guys and an outstanding player. So uh, uh, so it puts the Raptors in a tough space. space. They pivot a little bit and get Dennis Schroeder. Um, you know, it's interesting. I read both the Toronto Star and the Sun this morning, Mike Ganter, Doug Smith, and both of them kind of alluding to the fact that maybe this isn't necessarily the roster we're going to see in the fall at training camp. And I would, I would agree with that. I, I look at the roster right now and I go, there's probably a tweak or two still that has to come. Uh, so it, it'll be fascinating to see what those tweaks are, or could it be a bigger, bigger than a tweak? Yeah, no, I would agree with that. It's interesting real quick on the free agent front, you think about Dylan Brooks, who a uh, Canadian who got a four-year, $80 million deal in Houston. And then the news that Russell Westbrook signed a two-year, roughly $8 million deal with the Los Angeles Clippers. But And, and then Kevin Love also taking a discounted deal into Miami. You know, Kevin Love's already made well over $200 million mm-hmm. in his career. And Russell Westbrook has made contractually three hundred and roughly $35 million. So... <laughs> You know, they're making decisions to be where they want to be, where they want to play. The The big factor now is Damian Lillard. And where does he end up? And Miami, as we know, wants to be there, uh, wants to be the team in the end. But if you're the Portland Trailblazers, you have to do right by what you have done in the past. You've paid him a lot of money. He has always said he wants to be there. Now he said, no, I want to go to Miami. The difference between Bradley Beal, he had a no trade because he went into free agency. Damian Lillard does not have a no trade because his was an extension. And so that's why he can't dictate where he goes. And it's going to be interesting. And it's been a little bit speculated, you know, you know, do the Toronto Raptors get involved? And, you know, as John, we mentioned, you know, yesterday briefly, Mm -hmm. You know, this is, you know, this is right up Masai Ujiri's alley with respect to he's done blockbusters. He talked about the trade deadline, Jack. There wasn't a blockbuster to be had. So it's just going to be interesting to sit back and and watch all this unfold. Not saying that it is going to be, you know, Toronto, but I think there there's going to in order for him to get to Miami, there's going to be other teams involved. No, I, I, I would agree. And, and, you know, I think back and I uh, got some releases today from the Raptors regarding the Vegas Summer League. And I remember a few years ago being in Las Vegas for NBA meetings and Doc Rivers saying to me, Jack, you guys are going to get Kawhi Leonard. I'm like, seriously? He goes, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, at the time he was with the Clippers. And I really, uh, I look at, you know, the Raptors being patient and this could end up being something that, uh, you know, obviously, if you're if you're the Blazers, they want picks, they want expiring money, and they want, you know, a, a, an elite player. Right. Now, now can, can, can the Raptors offer all that? You know, only time will tell. But uh, and, and Damian Lillard, and he was terrific again this season. You know, you look at the back end of that contract, it's going to be a big, big ticket. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, is it something that you do? So uh, I wouldn't completely rule out Toronto. I agree with you, Matt, on that. You, you just never know. And and I would say this too, John, that 
and, and if that doesn't happen, which you know, you know, Raptors clearly are going to look for shooting. We know that that's been, you know, an issue. They, they did, you know, bring in Grady Dick, but you can't rely on a rookie all the time. So you're going to want some depth there. You know, there's always been a lot of conversation about point guards with Fred leaving. They bring in Dennis Schroeder. The Raptors are, in my opinion, and I, I, they are very comfortable giving the basketball to Scotty Barnes and essentially saying, Scotty, this is your show now. And in his third year, you're going to run it. You're going to run the offense and they're going to have the ball in his hands. And I would expect a Schroeder to come off of the bench. Right. I mean, so it's Scotty's going to be your starting point guard. I don't know if you get that sense as well, Jack. No, I, 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 there's, you know, I, and I think part of that with Fred Van Vliet is he knew that, yeah, you know, and just talking to people around Fred, uh, that was the vibe I got that he felt that, uh, and I think he felt it last year with the ball being in Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes' hand so much. I think there was definite frustration with him being an undersized two guard playing off the ball, and you know things changed as the season went on, particularly Ed Jakob Pertle. Uh, a pick a natural pick and roll partner and things changed a little bit there but uh, I think there was frustration that Fred Van Vliet had and I think he saw what was coming and what was coming is is probably coming right now uh, you know look Magic Johnson at that size was an incredibly effective point guard uh, the time you know we'll see as a third year player and here's mm-hmm. my opinion whether you're a college coach or a pro coach you should, you, by the time a guy gets to his third year, you know, you know what you got. And I thought last year was uneven with Scotty Barnes. This will be the year they find out whether they're on level footing or it's still uneven. But I think the only way you're going to find that out is you got to give him more responsibility and uh, figure that out. Now, will he coexist with Pascal Siakam, who likes the ball in his hands? That's a big uh, Can you have that? Can you have that many non-shooters on the floor? It'll be fascinating to watch. Now, a little bit, John, sorry. It's a little bit like Giannis in Milwaukee, just uh, on the construction of a roster where they surrounded him. Look, they just went out and got Malik Beasley. They surrounded Giannis with shooters, right? They lose Mm -hmm. Joe Ingles. They bring in Beasley, right? They want shooters around him, three-point shooters, because they know, despite him working on it, He's not, he's a 24, 25% three-point shooter, but he attacks the rim. Sorry, John. No, I just, uh, the fascination with the the concept of, of Barnes bringing it up, bringing the ball up, to me, speaks to where Darko Radjakovich, what is his, what's his philosophy in all this? And, and will, how much of a difference will we notice in a, in a Darko team as opposed to a Nick Nurse team, Jack? You know, John, I wish I knew the answer, but I don't. Um, yeah. I, I mean, clearly, he likes the ball moving quickly. He doesn't want the ball to stick. I mean, philosophically, that's what he talks about. But, you know, it's one thing to have a philosophy, but it's another thing when, when it's your first time as a head coach and now you have to define roles and you have to set the tone with professional players that are making a lot more money than you are and you have the agenda of your front office that you work with in partnership with them and agents and all the other variables that come into play and featuring certain guys. If you want to maybe move a guy in a trade, uh, it'll be interesting to see how he navigates that because 
Are you going to suddenly tell uh, Pascal Siakam you're not going to have the ball in your hands as much? If you're OG Ananobi, excuse me, and you're entering a contract year, you want the two T's, time and touches, right? So, you know, as much as there was discussion about the Raptors maybe weren't as together a group last year, you're going to have to work through some of those things and get everyone to sacrifice for the greater good. Um, again, I don't know how that works out, but for a first-year head coach uh, coming into that, I think for Nick Nurse five years ago coming in and you had Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green coming in from San Antonio, proven professional players who had championship rings, uh, even though you had the concern about how healthy was Kawhi, uh, I think this is a lot more challenging a job that Darko has. Now, the expectations will be a lot lower, but I think from a tactics and connection standpoint, I think this is a, a, a bigger lift. Yeah. Do you and now do you do you think the expectations lower inside the organization or outside the organization? Well, I think they're definitely lower outside the organization. I, I can't speak for what they are internally, um, but I, I think any fans I've spoken to or NBA people I've spoken to, I think everybody, when Fred Van Vliet went to Houston, uh, I think everybody recalibrated a little bit. And I would say the expectation level's a little lower from the fan base. Uh, but again, internally, uh, we'll find out when things roll in, in the fall. You bring up an excellent point, Jack. You go back to last year, Masai talked about the team was selfish. And and, and you can look at that and, and, and you look at the contracts that were coming up, right? And now, to your point, you have OG, Pascal, both in that situation. You have Gary Trent Jr. that opted in, but looking for an extension. It, it is a very interesting time. OG Ananobi, there's been reports now going on for well over a year that he wants a larger role with the Toronto Raptors. And so does he deserve it? I, you know, this is where I'll say you answer first and then I'll answer. Okay. <laughs> I, this, this is my take on that. I think that a lot of teams in the NBA want the Toronto Raptors players for who they are with the Toronto Raptors, not necessarily a larger role. Right. I think OG Ananobi is an elite three and D player. Is and he wants to handle it more and, and those sort of things. On an elite team, is he that guy on a team that's going to win a championship? I don't know, but he is beyond exceptional if he is your three and three and D guy. Mm -hmm. And and that's kind yeah, of the no. with that. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, they all want the ball a little bit more in their hands in terms of being able to create their own shot and all that. And I think his his ball skills and creativity have gotten better. Uh, I would say to Matt's point that his two greatest strengths and, you know, I, when I when I look at a player, I, you know, usually I, I, there, there's got to be three things that jump off the page at me that define a guy and the two things right off the bat that define OG are his outstanding defense at any of the five positions and his ability to shoot the three. That third skill, uh, I would say, is still a question mark. And now uh, we'll see if that can become uh, a, a better strength of his where you can give him the ball and he can go get his own. 
Mm -hmm. I quite frankly have not seen that from him consistently. Um, it's been, it's been a definite hit and miss thing. So, uh, again, sometimes as a coach, you know, conflict is good, you know, because sometimes you got to tell a guy, you know what, as much as you think you can do that, I got to look around the other four guys and say, well, you know, that you think that's your strength, but I think the other guy next to you can do that better than you can. And the guy not going to like you, but too bad. And part of that is, John, I think of of essentially their own doing, of their own development and the steps that these players have taken. I mean, you think about Fred, you think about Pascal, Norman Powell, OG Ananobi. These are all players that are either undrafted, late first round picks or second round picks that have made them into players. And so they have a belief in themselves that I can handle more because look at where I've come from. And I always thought when you look at the 2019 Toronto Raptors, is that there was a natural pecking order. You walked in that room and it started with Kawhi and then it went from there. And last year with the Raptors, there wasn't. You would think that there would be, but there really wasn't because I think mm -hmm. the players looked around and said, well, wait a minute, I could do that. I can do that. And then that leads to internal leadership. And with Fred gone, Jack, and you look at this roster today, it's going to be interesting to see who emerges internally if if we're talking about this team as it's yeah. constructed. Isn't that supposed to be Pascal? I would say it would be. Um, but the question is now, if you're going to hand Scotty Barnes the ball more and you got a guy in a contract here, uh, that, and, and you had not only one guy, but two, and to Matt's point, maybe three, and you got a rookie head coach, uh, you know, we can talk about spirit and kumbaya, <laughs> and that's all, all fine, well, and good. But then when, 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 when the bullets start flying, you say, no, 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 you're going to go over there. You're going to go over here. And by the way, you're not shooting at that time. That guy is. Or when you're in the huddle and there's 5.6 seconds remaining and you have a side out of bounds, and now we have to determine how, what play sequence we're going to run. Who's number one? Who's the number two option? What are our counters when they play it a certain way? you got to stare guys in the eyes and say, okay, I don't care if you don't like me. That's leadership. So I just, I just, got, I just got a vision. I got, I got a vision of Gene Hackman and Hoosiers running the picket fence. <laughs> <laughs> you know, look, I, I, you know, to that, it ain't, it, it ain't easy. It isn't, and and as we know with Darko, his background, you know, the conversation about pick and roll, right, and and you know, more pick and roll. And the Raptors did do more of that when they acquired Jakob Pertl because it allowed them to get into that. But, you know, part of that too is you hope that Scotty Barnes comes back as a better shooter because that's going to make that way more dangerous because Jakob isn't necessarily a pick and pop guy, right? He's not a great shooter and he's a great roller and drawing attention there. So a lot of this depends upon the growth of Scotty and his shooting, Jack. Great point. And, and you bring in Dennis Schroeder uh, as a replacement for, for Fred Van Vliet. He is not as good a three-point shooter uh, as Fred. And then Malachi Flynn, very streaky to this point in his career. So, you know, you, you, you have a guy like Jakob Pertl, who is a natural pick-and-roll guy, not a pop, as you mentioned. Great point. And what kind of spacing is going to be around that sequence? And again, if you are congested and you have people that are not respected as shooters and people are going to pack the paint 
and challenge you and dare you to shoot threes. To your point, Matt, earlier about uh, Milwaukee and what they've tried to do around Giannis, uh, a huge, huge point. I think you nailed it right there with Scotty Barnes. His ability now to turn the corner and be able to shoot the ball consistently is going to be big. Yet, on the other hand, he can't fall in love and be a suburban player and settle all the time for threes because one of his greatest strengths, maybe his best strength so far, is his ability to get to the rim and finish because he's got great size and he can really finish. Beyond the Raptors, um, anybody jump out of you that's done okay in free agency? Well, well, I mean, obviously, uh, I mean, I mean, they're going to be crazy luxury tax, but I mean, how, how do you not like, I mean, it's not my money. How do you not like what Phoenix has done? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they, they just picked up Eric Gordon. I mean, Eric Gordon's not the player he once was, but you put him in a corner, you got to guard him because he's still a threat. Was he a career 37, 38% three-point shooter? So, I mean, obviously Phoenix has done a lot of really good things. Um, to me, I think, you know, obviously they, they, they've, They've shifted things a little bit in the West. I mean, uh, as good as Denver is, uh, and they'll be right back in the home. Uh, you know, now if you're the Clippers and you're kind of capped out, you're looking around and you're saying, how's our runway? And I, I tell you what, I give Rob Polinka a lot of credit. I think he stood his ground a little bit more with LeBron James this offseason. And they put their roster together in the image that the front office and the coaching staff want rather than what LeBron wants. And quite frankly, LeBron's had some miscues in terms of some of the advice he's maybe forced on them. So I give the Lakers a lot of credit in terms of some of the subtle moves that they've made. Yeah, it's interesting, Jack, because you look at, I was just looking at the, the salary cap is 136, 136 million. The tax level is 165. But now with the new CBA, John, you have an apron. The first apron is at 170. Yeah, it's the second apron, which is really prohibitive, is at 182. And to your point about Phoenix, Phoenix is just going to shatter through, you know, that that second apron. And so it's um, fascinating. I think Golden State with the Chris Paul situation, I think that's really interesting. Having Andrew Wiggins back full time, I think that's going to be extremely beneficial uh, to Golden State, retaining Draymond Green. There was something there clearly, right? Jordan Poole was the one that got sent out, not Draymond Green, right? So they understand how important he is uh, in the mix. I think Houston, they've been extremely active. I, you could tell, like, uh, Jack and I talk about this all the time, and I say this, John, that there's only so many years you can live in the lottery. After that, like, you know, fans will talk about let's rebuild, but then all of a sudden you're lingering in there for three or four years and you, you kind of get to the point of enough is enough. And I think Houston's gotten to that point. Sacramento extending Sabonis, right. I think is significant. Um, and Harrison Barnes. So uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch how the, this summer kind of plays out in the NBA, because again, as we mentioned earlier, there's some big conversations out there that have yet to, ultimately land well and the other the and the other before we let you go jack one last guy james harden what what is i mean first of all do you ever expect nick nurse to coach him uh or will he be he be out will be with the clippers will where will he end up 
before this? Well, is they're they're in a bad spot. I, I I I'm they're in a bad spot because what's the market? And now that everyone knows you got to trade them, they're going to get pennies on the dollar. And you know, let's face it, he's not happy with the sixes, and now he stuck it to them opting in mm -hmm. because the market's not there. Good luck trying to coach that guy. Because we've seen what he's done when he wants out in both Houston and Brooklyn. And that's an incredibly, I don't care, you know, you could say, well, you're going to be a professional. Well, look what happened in both places. He wasn't. And uh, I, I just think he, as great as he is, and he's a wonderful talent, and he'll be in the Hall of Fame. Some of his game is empty calories. And to me, I, I think when the push comes to shove and you look, at him and the MVP, Joel Embiid, in game six and seven, when they needed to, to really raise their level of play, they didn't. There were times that you could clearly see the ball was like a hot potato, and they didn't want the moment. They didn't want to live with the moment themselves. And uh, to me, uh, I think for Embiid to really grow, uh, you know, obviously they decided on a coaching change, but uh, I think he needs Harden out of there. And, and what's fascinating, you would think, Jack, at his stage of his career and all that he's accomplished, to your point, he's a Hall of Famer, that at this stage, you could sell the fact, and it's something that Nick Nurse talked about in his press conference, right, that this is an opportunity to win, right? You have an opportunity, and the Philadelphia fan base and management believe that even with this roster, that they were really a coach away from getting beyond the second round. And that's, as you know, that's what they believe, Jack. Yeah. They, but James Harden, do you, you've accomplished it. You've made all the money. Do you want to ultimately win? And if he does, he will remain in Philadelphia and he will play this out. And that's the biggest question. We, if he totally ends up, hey, I want out of here, I want to, then his objective isn't to win. And that, to me, is a fascinating element to this. Quickly, Jack, any thought? I, I don't, you know, when Nick Nurse took the Sixers job, and I know I've said it to Matt, you know, and his name was up for Philadelphia, for Phoenix and Milwaukee. Uh, if you ask me as a coaching free agent, probably the top yeah. free agent on the market, which job I would want, Philly would be the third one. Yeah. So I, th I think I answered your question <laughs> that way. Uh, Nick decided to take on the biggest challenge. And I think that's a challenge there. And if he yeah. if he's able to get them to places they haven't been, good for him. He's a great coach, Nick Nurse. I think the world of them. I'm just not a crazy fan of their roster. Jack Armstrong, thanks for your time. Guys, happy fourth. And by the way, big shout out to my man, the Bobcat, Bob McCown. You're in my thoughts and prayers. I love you. Happy Fourth, Jacko. The McCowan Podcast. Back after this. Welcome back to the McCowan Podcast. Matt Devlin in for the recuperating McCowan. And joined by our old pal Brian Lawton from the Twin Cities. Uh, maybe to talk a little bit about the money that was spent, the players that was were signed. At a time with a flat cap, Brian Lawton, what the heck is going on in the National Hockey League? I think he answered your own question. It's a flat cap, <laughs> not not nearly as much. Uh, it's a really strange time. I mean, 
you know, I, I talk to a lot of GMs. A lot of guys are disappointed in terms of it's been difficult to plan for a pandemic and what's that, what that has done to the cap in terms of their long-term plans. But that's what they found themselves dealing in. And it's been really tough. You know, people, you see what Tampa's had to do, you know, moving out name players like Ross Colton and Corey Perry and Patrick Maroon, Bellamar, you know, and bringing in guys, you know, not that they're not NHL players, but Calvin DeHaan, Josh Archibald, um, Luke Glendening. You know, this this is where the world is at right now. It's been tough, and yet some teams have done some nice work. You have to give them credit. Toronto's been active. But uh, the other dynamic that people aren't talking enough about for me, John, is that players always love long-term deals, and they still would be signing them this year if the money were better. But you're seeing guys like Bertuzzi that are saying, hey, the cap's going to go up next year. Everybody knows that. There's very little escrow left to pay, less than $70 million. Once that's done, you can expect the cap to go up uh, in a meaningful way again. Yeah, it's, it's you also Alex Klorn, right? He ends up going out west from uh, Tampa. And uh, what do you think that the idea of going short term, just waiting for it to go up is you know, something that we saw, as you mentioned, with Bertuzzi is kind of the new thought. But then, you know, you see other guys like Klorn take some years and and obviously Ryan O'Reilly with a four year deal in Nashville. Yeah, I mean, some guys it's predicated on age and you can't yeah. miss, you know, Bertuzzi's a younger player. He can afford to do it. And many players can, but not everybody can. And Alex Kalorn, you know, he had a really great year last year. He's a really good player. He was there when I was in Tampa, just still in college, but in our camps. He's had a magnificent career. But this is his last chance to really cash in. Yeah. And Anaheim stepped up and did with other people aren't willing to there's a number of teams that have that capability but signing you know some of these players at this point in their career doesn't really make a ton of sense for them in terms of the cycle they're in and where they're going to be and you know in Anaheim's case I feel like Beaker knew Alex from his time in Tampa really loved him knew he'd be a culture guy and even though you know in my opinion I don't think they're ready to win yet I think they would I think they know that they may not admit that, but they are definitely rebuilding and uh, it's a strange signing for sure. Hmm. But I think that Alex Killorn did not have a boatload of options. And if you wanted term, if you're looking at your age, it's a great decision for him and he'll be a great guy for Anaheim. Yeah. Well, and the, the interesting thing, Brian, in many ways of what we saw was, and we've seen this in the league, and we've talked about this before, the have teams and the have not teams. Well, the have not teams have all the cap space. So exactly. you, you, you look at Anaheim with the guy with, with giving Kalor in that long-term deal. Look what Arizona is continuing to do with, with, with what Bill has been able to, to, to sign more players. I, I was shocked at the amount of signing he was doing. Uh, even and even Steve Eiserman, uh, the, the amount of bodies yeah. in Detroit who had a ton of cap space. So it's, I don't know if this is the great equalization, but uh, it, it's 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 a, a a fascinating time. The other one is Chicago, yeah. and I tell and you what, just, if, I'm yeah. a, if I'm if I but if I'm a manager of another team, I am pissed off at Chicago. Yep, because uh, because of two contracts. 
Yep. The Nick Foligno contract and the Corey Perry contract, because they sure. set the bar. $4 million for those guys who were making less, and, and they're both really valuable guys. I love Nick. But $4 million? And that, that seems absurd for them at this stage in their career, and yet I can't say a bad word about those guys. They're just they're, yeah. they're quality people. They play hard. The only reason they're getting that money, is, you know, you have to be honest, is they're racing to the floor, mm-hmm. right? right? They're not racing to the ceiling. They're racing to the floor of the salary cap. And this is the dichotomy you're speaking about, that you have these teams like Tampa, uh, Toronto's been crushed, Edmonton is crushed in terms of salary cap space, the Rangers are crushed, that are dying for more salary cap space. And then you have the teams like Chicago that are going through the Connor Bedard era, which should be really good for them. And they got too much cap space. Yeah. That they can turn around and grab Corey Perry. Now, you have to think, John that, uh, and Matt, that those peop- those teams are going to end up paying half and trying to move those players at the deadline. So, it, you know, is that a bad strategy? You know, what does that mean? Paying half means you really pay three quarters, nope. right? The, the only, I, I just, as a, just let me jump in here for a second, Matt. The only thing I can think of is that Kenny Holland is sitting there negotiating with Connor Brown. And he's talking to Connor Brown, and he's, he pr- probably figures he's got a bit at two and a half. He's probably, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, four million for Felino, four million for Perry, comparables, man. You know, it's one of the things when you when you deal in the hockey world, you have comparables. So Connor Brown's got to find a way to get to four million dollars, and and they they did it with a couple of bonus structure things that for games played that Connor Brown's now making four million dollars. <laughs> Well, he's technically making seven seventy-five, but yes, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he you're is right. making four million dollars if he can show up and make it from one blue line to the next. If he if he has a four pulse, million dollars, basically, yes. if he has a pulse, he will he will make four million dollars. Yes, yes, and and quite frankly, you know, Edmonton's in win mode. I I don't begrudge them for doing it. It's a it's a smart move. I would say that one flipped on its head at the last minute because of exactly what you're saying. You still have to march to the market. The market hasn't been great for players, but in that particular slice or instance for a few guys, it's been incredible. I just would not, if you had told me that before free agency opened and a lot of teams, you know, they're doing the same types of exercises that we would run through to say, what do you think about this? What are your guesses here and there? A lot of teams are doing that same thing. And just like you and I and all of us on this call, Matt, it just there's just no way we would have came up with that number. <laughs> what what nope. do you think? Because you saw him up in Minnesota. What do, what do you think of Ryan Reeves to the uh, Toronto uh, Maple Leafs? Uh, my, my takeaway from Toronto more holistically is that Brad – you know, he hasn't been there yet, so he hasn't been around the locker room, but he's clearly, you know, making moves that are more focused in terms of culture and improving the room. That dovetails with what you're saying about Ryan Reeves. Ryan Reeves is is really an extension of the coaching staff. He's going to do all the things you want him to do. He takes it seriously. He's got a big presence, obviously. He's a little bit of the the, the last or a dying, dying dinosaur, so to speak, and that he still does a job that is 
incredibly important to a team, but vanishing to some degree in the NHL. He's really one of the last guys that could bring mm -hmm. that kind of cachet to that role. And he's been able to leverage that into the ability to raise the group. Billy Guerin loved Ryan Reeves. He would have loved to bring him back. He knows what he did to the room. Billy was a culture guy. He, he wasn't, he wasn't unserious, but Billy was a very affable guy. Ryan has a little bit of that in him, but eventually you want someone to kind of grab your room and shake everybody. And I think Brad has made a bet that if Toronto is going to go deeper, we're going to need to improve that element. They've got a really good team. But Toronto's going to have a great season this year, but if they don't have a great playoff, then it feels like a loss for them. Well, but he, you know, they, they have made lots of changes to the forwards, yes. but Brian, <laughs> Brian let, let, let's look at the Stanley cup champions and look at the strength of that team. And as, as good as Ike or Mark Stone were and my uh, Marsha. So when you have studs on the back end, like Petrangelo and Martinez, and I mean, I could name all six guys. That's how, that's how nuts it was. That's how good and deep they were. The Maple Leafs need to fix the defense. They do. Big time. And it's the one, number one criticism I've always had when Kyle was there, who I thought did an awesome job, but he just was obstinate in terms of reallocating his money to get more into the D. And if you can't go out and find cheaper players, which is five mm -hmm. times as hard, you've got to have that asset allocation where your D is meaningful. I have said this on your show. I say it on most shows. Everybody has a different flavor for how you build your team. So this is really sensitive to me because I've been asked this question in GM interviews, and it's always from the blue line in both directions for me. That's just my personal flavor. Some guys will say you need a great goalie. Some guys will say you need strength down the middle. But for the teams I played on that had better seasons, it was always teams that had really great D. I felt like it controlled the game. You can have a bunch of really good forwards and not do anything in the playoffs. This is a hint, hint, wink, wink for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, no, they have not addressed that yet. They have made changes. Um, but that, in the end, will be their Achilles heel if they don't get over the hump. How now, based upon where they are from a cap perspective, how do you see them going out and maybe trying to elevate that? Right? I mean, that's that's the uh, I, I they're already they're same. already over the cap. They're that's, already I mean, over. like how yeah, they're not technically over the cap. People forgetting Jake Hazen. They, they've got easy solutions to be cap compliant. But yes, yes, technically they are. Of course, you can ride above the cap. We all know this, John. We've all been in this business a long yeah. time. Fans are aware of it, I feel like, even now. So uh, how do you do it, although how do you make those changes? Not unlike a number of teams I spoke to that I know want to make you know, significant changes. It wasn't out there at this UFA period. It wasn't out there prior to that at the draft. They're going to default to the first 20 games and take a look and see if they can get it done. They're going to default till January if that doesn't happen. And heaven forbid, if they get stuck knowing that they have to do something at the deadline, it's going to cost them more. But that is the way guys are thinking right now. I think Brad Tree Leaving is thinking that way. For me, the answer is really simple. You trade one of your top four players, right? Because they're the only guys that will really move the needle for you. And that 
decision last year and the year before that and the year before that and the year before that for me has been William Nylander. But he's mm -hmm. still there. And now he wants, you know, 10 plus million. And he had a really great season last year. So maybe he can command it. But I would be uncomfortable keeping that group together with that player at that number for sure. And, it, and it's interesting, too, because if you look at Vegas, right, they just win the cup, but yet key pieces, they understand, right? They make the Riley Smith deal. They, they, you get to a point, Chicago was that as well when they won cups. They understood that, you know, we're going to keep these two and then Kane and Taze, and then we're just going to have to make some moves around it. But the Leafs haven't, haven't gotten there yet. No, interesting. The, the, they, they haven't. And when you study all these teams, and how they're built and what was successful and what wasn't, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights looked a lot like the 2019 Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues to me. Mm -hmm. They didn't, they didn't, they, they, these are anomalies if you really go back the last 12, 13, almost 14 years, Detroit would be the last one that they won off of draft picks Detroit but the other teams didn't like Petrangelo was the highest drafted player Jack Eichel was traded for mm. you know it wasn't that homegrown model where you know you be bad to be good and then it rewards you like it did for Chicago with Taves and Kane like it did for Pittsburgh with Crosby Malkin Flurry, like it did for Tampa with Hedman and Stamkos trust me I was in this market at one time and understood it and uh, to me, you know, Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee, they did a magnificent job. They, they went a different direction. They did it outside the box. But Detroit was another, I mean, excuse me, St. Louis was another example they were looked at recently and mm. said, look how they won. Big, long, rangy D. Mm. And that's essentially one of the same players from St. Louis. Makes it easy. Yeah. Was the best defenseman and Alex Petrangelo for Vegas as he was for St. Louis. So there's ways you could do it, but the it's interesting to see if more teams adopt that philosophy because you can get it done, but you better be bold. And Vegas was bold, in my opinion. Were you surprised at some of the buyouts, Brian? You know, like the Matt Duchesne's of the world? Yes, I was very surprised by that. I'm a little bit, I'm interested in what Nashville is doing. They trade Matias Ekholm at the deadline. They turn around and trade Ryan Johansson eating half, which teams have been mm -hmm. reluctant to do that, even with a couple of years. They buy out Matt Duchesne, and then they sign Ryan O'Reilly. Right. So I'm not now sure the, if and, I'm and coming the, or going in that one. But no, but the, and the juxtaposition of the Duchesne-O'Reilly story is so deep because they have been rivals – in so many ways, personal rivals, all the way back to their time in Colorado. That to me, that was that was a little bit of uh, a little bit of irony on free agent day when Ryan O'Reilly signed in Nashville. Yes, and of course, if my memory serves me correct, Matt was third in the 2009 draft, and Ryan O'Reilly was like 31st or 32nd. Yeah. And then they both were drafted by Colorado. What a great draft that was for Colorado! And uh, away they go. Now the juxtaposition started. Um, so that was interesting. But, you know, when I look at it strategically, Barry is clearly making a statement about culture. Mm -hmm. He wants a certain type of player there. Um, I'm interested to see what they do as a guy like Ryan McDonough. 
making 8.34 million, I think this year. Um, he's a culture guy. That's a lot of cash though. His cap hits not that high. I don't know which way they're going, but if I were a team looking for top D, that would be somebody I'd be calling. The, the other, the other fascination you touched on Ryan Reeves, a culture guy, an enforcer, Patrick Maroon moves, goes to Minnesota. He's the new Ryan Reeves for the, for the wild Milan Lucic signs in Boston. You know, there was a time, I think three or four years ago, we, we thought that type of player was a dying breed. And yet, um, for, for some reason, or, or maybe it's just a, the light bulb went on and said, God, we, we need players like that. We, you know, the game is, the game needs to be policed on the ice, and there's still a role for those types of players. I think there's still a role for it. I, I think Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner will play, and, and Nylander and Tavares, for that matter, as free as they've played in a long time. <laughs> I think it's going to be a very safe work environment, John. Um, <laughs> but there's less and less guys like that. The right team can win like players like that, and those players are terrific. And if it's the wrong team, it can be a little bit like Bull Durham where a little bit of fungus on the uh, sandals is mm. gross in the minors and beautiful in the majors. Mm. And that's the way it rolls for those guys. So it's important that they're on good teams. Patrick Maroon was a perfect fit, not only in St. Louis, but in Tampa. If the wild reaches high heights, it'll be great. If they don't, then that'll be a rough ride. It's interesting. You know, the conversation, at least here in Toronto, with Ryan Reeves is okay. That's great for 82, but what happens come the postseason? Will he even get out there? Will he even dress? Yeah. Will he even that, dress? That's, that is the question. And uh, I actually was thinking about that. And I do believe that Toronto can clearly afford to essentially, they could go 11 and seven. Mm. So think of it that way. Right. You know, for those five minutes, would it be worth it? Ryan Reeves is just so valuable. I've seen him in action. He's just such a positive, infectious person. You know, it, it, again, all these managers have different philosophies. All of them have different personalities. If you believe the glass is half full, Ryan Reeves is your type of guy. He's going to bring a lot of energy to that team. It's not going to show up in the box score. Probably going to drive the analytics community bonkers because you'll mm -hmm. never see the stats of what he does but uh ryan reeves uh, I, I do think he'll have a real positive effect it's remarkable to me that at this age he can go out and command term and yet if i had that team and i was looking for that element i think brad tree leaving is right to make that move for the money mm -hmm. he paid and also max, it, Do max, max domi comes in too right yeah, and Max is a guy that, um, you know, he obviously doesn't have the physical stature of Ryan Reeves, but he plays a hard game. He'll get involved. He'll stand up for guys. We saw that last year in the playoffs. We know he can fight. Nothing worse than getting beat up by a guy that's not 6'5". Mm. So uh, I think, again, most of what I saw Brad doing was to communicate that we're going to be a little tougher to play against try to work on our locker room and uh in the back of my mind i'm thinking what we're talking about he 100 percent knows he wants to improve his blue line just hasn't seen the option yet you know i thought that you know a couple of teams 
really got out in front of it, like certainly Columbus. They wanted yeah. to improve their D, and uh, that was a little bit unusual, to be honest with you, and good for them. They, they struck while the iron was hot. Is it going to get them in the playoffs? I'm sure Yarmo thinks it is, and he's probably pretty happy about adding two quality D. Yarmo better hope it is. For for Yarmo's for for Yarmo for sake. But speaking of uh, speaking of Columbus, I uh, we haven't talked to you since Mike Babcock got got hired. Yep. What do you think? Communicated with uh, Mike a couple days ago. I think Mike got a bit of a raw deal. That's just the way it played out. You know, the Mike is a hard nosed coach. He's a top notch coach in this league. Um, yes, he got paid a lot of money, but. Uh, you know, I'm surprised he wasn't back working sooner. And that's why I say he got a little bit of a raw deal. I think he'll do a real good job there. I think Mike will. Um, Mike doesn't get credit for being humble, but he is a humble guy when you talk to him. Hmm. And I think he's learned a lot. I think he's going to apply it. I think he's going to do some of his best coaching. I think it's going to be a challenge for him. He doesn't have the roster to, you know, blow the lights out, in my opinion contrary to what Yarmo might say, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be a lot better and Mike's going to do a great job yeah. and that's going to be a really great opportunity for him. In my opinion, I I'm, yeah. I I'm high on Babs. Um, you know, just like Joel Quenville, like Joel wow. at some point will be back. That's got to That's got to happen this summer. That's got to, he, he's got to be let back in. And there's got to, something has to happen this summer with talking to Gary. So, Yeah. I, I think something will, in my opinion. I don't know when Joel's back, but, you know, these are good people. They made a mistake. Um, I think they've paid really severe penalties for those mm -hmm. mistakes. Yeah. Before we let you go, uh, one last name. What do you think Alex Debrinket's doing? What, what, what is going on with Alex Debrinket? That one's getting a little messy as, you know, as it doesn't materialize and it doesn't, work out the way maybe both parties hoped you know you start to see blame being thrown out there and the player wants too much money that's why we can't trade them and this that and the other thing and you know that's just that's just part of it at the end of the day I think that not unlike what we saw in the market the big long-term deals aren't really out there right now and people, you know, so I, I, in my opinion, I would say Alex is not uh, getting the interest that he thinks at the numbers he thinks. I think he's a tremendous player. Uh, he, he's proven it now in two organizations, and that's a big proof source. It's one thing if he can do it in one organization, maybe get the right players, this, that, or the other thing. But he went to Ottawa, um, has proven he can continue to score. He can put up points. Uh, but those deals in my opinion, mm. are just not out there. They, they really, you know, you're, you're watching Duchesne, uh, you're watching other guys that sign these big long-term deals. Uh, who can forget about the summer of 2016? A lot of those contracts, Milan Lucic, uh, Franz Nielsen, there was a bunch of guys in that group, Kyle Oposto. Right. GMs, when you talk to them, are so happy to get rid of that, that <laughs> all these years later, they still remember it and say, hey, we're not going to do that. Brinkett's younger than those guys, to be fair to him. So it's a combination of factors. But I don't think it's out there. I think that's frustrating Ottawa because they'd like to they'd like to know. And I think it's it's frustrating to Brinkett, but he knows he could play another year. The cap will be better. 
his uh, his light at the end of the tunnel would would most likely be a rainbow for him if he could wait it out. Yeah, you're probably right. Brian, thanks for this time. Happy Fourth of July. Get out in the lake, man. Enjoy it. Uh, I would if it wasn't pouring. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> great to see yeah, you. Great to see you, Brian. Uh, please give my best to Bob. Of course, we're thinking about him. Uh, always love being on the show. And thank you, John. I appreciate it. Cheers, Brian. Brian Lawton from the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul. We are going to pivot. Notice how I said that, Matt. Hey, we're going to pivot to uh, basketball with our pal Jack Armstrong after this. Thanks to Brian Lawton and Jack Armstrong for uh, spending the 4th of July. Yeah. We, we, you know, we went to Minneapolis, St. Paul, and we went to Buffalo, New York. You know, two Americans doing yeah. their duty coming on our podcast. That's quite something. It is, and it's uh, appreciative for sure because I know big plans on the 4th of July, although unfortunately for Brian, he can't get on the boat because it's raining. Uh, Jack, as you know, he's teed it up, and now he's headed to a little afternoon barbecue and then on to a cocktail party, and uh, it's the 4th of July and a lot of fun. But the fascinating thing is when you think about here we are, two different free agencies and the money, which you – Oh, I know. It is. Well, and the difference between the the difference between the two, in addition to the TV money, is the NBA collective bargaining agreement was one of the first ones that Gary Bettman worked on. (laughs) And so by the time he finished the NHL one, he fixed all the problems. (laughs) And it's 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 a little more restrictive in the world of hockey than it is in the world of basketball. And a bigger roster, too. Absolutely. Bigger. I mean, when you think about the NBA roster at 15 compared to 23. Yeah. So, yeah, that's crazy. Anyway, Maddie, thanks for the time. Great to have you around. And uh, I hope you're recuperating safely. Thank you so much, John. Thanks for asking me. And obviously, big shout out to Bobcat. This is the Bob McCowan podcast. We'll talk to you tomorrow. 